Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. The midweek madness kicks off tonight as top flight football is back under the floodlights. And have the lights been too bright for Steve Cooper's Nottingham Forest so far? Bottom of the table, but starting things off this evening with a trip to Brighton, whilst the tricky Palace side welcome Wolverhampton Wanderers, who still don't have a gaffer. We'll look ahead to those two games as well as looking back at Karim Benzema bagging the Ballon d'Or last night for the very first time, a prize Steven Gerrard once came in third place for, but it's 16th place where his Aston Villa side find themselves at the moment and we ask how long has Stevie got left before he potentially slips again. Rumours are swirling around Villa Park that a certain Argentine manager could be on Aston Villa's radar. All of that to come on today's episode of Football Social Daily. This is the only Premier League podcast with new episodes each and every day of the Top Flight campaign. Want to stay up to date? Then go and hit subscribe right now. My name's Niall and the transfer window might have been closed for ages now, but not for us at Sports Social as we've got a new member of the team making his debut on the show today. Stefan Doyle's with us. All right, Stefan. Hi there, now. Are you okay? I'm very well, mate. Now, as a, a bit of a rite of passage on this podcast, you need to actually reveal to everyone who you support. What is your beloved football club? So, okay, you ready? Yeah, all good. <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> oh, dis- I don't have a disappointing uh, sound effect, otherwise I would have just gone, oh, like that. But it doesn't exist, unfortunately. No, good, good to have an, an Arsenal fan on the podcast. We've got a Tottenham fan. We've got Manchester City, United, even Newcastle, Portsmouth, West Ham. But we've got a, our first Arsenal fan. So welcome along, Stefan. And... With any debutante, you need the experience to go alongside it. So, of course, Marley Anderson is in the squad today. All right, Marley. Oh, like a like a striker veteran, you're bringing on a one-year contract to shore up and teach the young'uns how to do it. I'd say a game-by-game <laughs> basis. <laughs> Pay, as, Pay you play, as you play. Yeah. yeah, and anyway, there are matches tonight which we're going to get stuck into now in the Premier League. Pretty much a full suite of midweek fixtures, aside from Arsenal against Manchester City, which is a shame because we could have had Stefan talk about that massive game, which is yet to be rescheduled in the Premier League. All other games are taking place this midweek, and it begins at the Amex tonight at half seven, where Nottingham Forest are the visitors. And Steve Cooper, I was listening to his press conference yesterday, and he remained pretty upbeat, despite the fact that Forest sit bottom of the table, and there's been lots of talk over their recruitment and the money spent in the summer. But are you expecting there to be a, a more miserable feeling about Forest after tonight, Stefan? They've not had a great start to the season. All the stats suggest that that's probably going to continue against Brighton tonight. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very tricky game for them down at the Amex. Um, Brighton obviously had a bit of a stop start under De Zerbi, but um, you would expect them to pick up where they've left off in recent weeks and uh, start getting back to winning ways. Yeah, Nottingham Forest, of course. Um, with a massive game against Wolves at the weekend. And we'll come on to Wolves in a second. But the fact that they lost that Marley um, is probably one of the biggest blows they could have could have had this season. You know, they've lost games against Manchester City where they were beaten 6-0. But it's those games against the teams around you that you need to be winning and they didn't. So how concerning would that result have been at the weekend going into this one against Brighton? Uh, very, because... As you say, you know, you you sort of target games when you especially when you come up to the Premier League, you, you have to target your games and, and properly go for them when you know, you're not gonna beat the likes, as you say, of, of Man City and but you are gonna beat or well, at least have chance of beating, you know, teams around you. Wolves was a perfect example. It was almost like an early season six pointer, um, at the weekend and 
I think they they signed their own death warrant when they put out that stupid tweet before half time, say uh, before before kickoff, sorry, <laughs> saying play time, and you know they deleted it pretty quickly, but not before thousands of people had seen it. And it, as soon as the the admin hit send on that, it was just like you're definitely going to lose today now because you just give the opposition a little bit more um, motivation in a six pointer. They haven't even got a manager, so you should be downplaying them as much as possible and just getting on with your own job but instead the admins have to try and take a little uh, a little shed of the limelight and end up just getting uh, getting absolutely done over by the Wolves admin who waited till the full time whistle which is, which is what you're meant to do in the world of social media wait till <laughs> something's actually concrete before you uh, before you do it um, and yeah backfired so it was, it was funny and they got what they deserved in, in my opinion because if you do things like that you just open yourself up. It's like a, a boxer dropping the hands against Mike Tyson. You're going to get knocked in the chin and you, you're probably going to get uh, put down. A football's got a funny way of biting you in the backside, doesn't it? And that was a prime example. And actually, it's funny you mentioned that tweet because we are going to come on to that a little bit later on in today's podcast. So stick around for that. But Steve Cooper actually mentioned that unsavory tweet in his press conference and he said it wasn't helpful and it it's something that's been discussed internally and he says that he hopes lessons have been learned we're 10 games in now though Stefan and it's hard to see Forrest really learning many lessons because even though Steve Cooper admitted that the attitude has been there and the players are determined to make a success of the season um, you really only see those learning curves on the pitch with results and we haven't seen that yet no, definitely not. And I think as well, I think we're really starting to see the evidence of the struggle they're probably going to have trying to get all these players to gel. I mean, the, was it over 20 new signings they brought in over the summer? Mm. And I think it's mm. uh, telling the fact that they got rid of their head of recruitment in the last couple of weeks as well, didn't they? So yeah. it's not a happy ship. They have tried to steady it by giving him a new contract, haven't they? So I think they're firmly in the Steve Cooper camp for the season. So fingers crossed he can start getting a few wins on the board and turning it around for them. Well, to turn it around, he'll have to beat Brighton tonight, who have got a new manager themselves. Deserby, you've already mentioned him, Stefan, but what have you made of him so far? I think it's hard not to be impressed, really. I think um, the Liverpool result, they showed really good character to make sure they got came away with something after uh, like a basketball match that turned into, didn't it? Um, and then since then, I think they were probably unlucky not to get something from Spurs, who played really, really well on the counter-attack in that one. Um and then, admittedly, I didn't see much of the Brentford game. Um, but I think they came up against the determined Ivan Tony, who's probably still reading a little bit from not actually getting any minutes from his England call-up. So it's been a tough run of fixtures for them to have after Graham Potter left. But I would expect them to probably get back to winning ways against Forest, to be honest. Brighton are one of those clubs, Marley, where they seem to be methodical about everything they do. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. In fact, I think it works in their favour. They sign players like, for instance, Mark Kukurea from not unknown teams, but certainly almost in a covert way where they're picking up these talented players and then sometimes turning them into great players for them, their own team or moving them on for, for ex, excess money, as we saw in the case of Kukurea. So I guess because I was in the similar camp as many people thinking, who is Deserby? And yeah, I guess that, that Brighton have a clear idea of what they want and why he's the right man. So you, I suppose you have to trust the powers that be there at the Amex. Yeah, I think when you've um, when you've got the track record Brighton have um, of doing things slightly differently but getting results off the back of it and and improving as a club, then you can't really uh, you can't really criticise when they go for Roberto De Zerbi. I mean, I've got to be honest, I'd never never heard of him to be honest either, but. He did a, a very good job at Sassuolo. If you look at 
some of the football um, Sassuolo played, it was it was very Brighton esque. It was a club with a middling budget, probably on the lower end of um, of, of that table, um, but playing a brave way of um, of getting them to to where they sort of above their station type of thing. He won a lot of plaudits in Italy. He was linked with bigger jobs, I think, um, from time to time. And then, you know, decided to, to have a crack at the Premier League. And I think if you look at Brighton, you know, they did that with Potter. It's it's very, very similar appointment. Like, people going, well, who's he? What's he done in the game? But you've got to give, you know, managers a platform. What, what's the alternative? Go go around, like, the, the managerial merry-go-round of, of Tony Pulis, Mark Hughes, you know, Sam Allardyce, you're not going to do that. Yeah, exactly, nobody wants to do that anymore. So they've had such good um, times with Potter that, you know, they've basically found a profile very very similar to his and, you know, Pot- Potter came from Ostersons to Swansea and then got himself to uh, to Brighton and, you know, that was huge, um, huge progression in a short time and he took Brighton, sort of stabilised him at first and then took him into... Uh, into the top half last season, so that's huge for a club like Brighton, who, you know, ten years ago were were struggling away and closer to going out of business than they were to to mixing it in the Premier League with the big boys. So their decision making's been top class at the uh, at the top uh, level. Um, the recruitment's been sort of left field, but but worked more often than not. Players like McAllister, uh, Trossard, um, Cucurella, you know, Dunk, Duffy, Webster. All these sort of players are uh, are doing a real job for them, and you know they sell players on like Ben White for fifty odd million quid, and then you know uh, sort of regenerate the funds that way, and you know that's uh, that's the Brighton model, and they'll stick with it because it's it, it hasn't failed them yet. I was just going to say, I do wonder if um, the lack of goals is starting to creep back into Brighton's game. I don't know if there's a bit of disruption there in terms of going from Potter's training techniques to Deserbies, but. Uh, just looking at the stats here, they 21 shots um, in their last match against Brentford and didn't really look like they were going to score. Um, so I think that's just something they need to sort of try and work on again because they had that problem last season, didn't they, where for all of the good play, they never really were able to put the ball in the back of the net. So hopefully, like I said, Forest is, a cert, is the perfect game for them to get back to finding the back of the net and uh, see what happens from there. Yeah, Brighton against Nottingham Forest, half seven kickoff tonight. The game that takes place slightly later at quarter past eight is at Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace welcome Wolverhampton Wanderers and Wolves, as we've already mentioned today, with a massive win over Forest at the weekend. But Patrick Vieira says, Stefan, that Wolves will still be dangerous despite the fact they don't have a manager. Is that just something he was saying in his press conference to save embarrassment should they be beaten? Or behind the scenes, do you think he'll be fancying his chances, particularly with the game being at Selhurst Park tonight? I think Patrick Vieira is playing that very sensible card that, again, we t- touched on briefly with uh, Forrest there. Just not counting your chickens before they've hatched, I think, is probably the best way of uh, always approaching things. Look, Wolves have only had, is it seven or eight goal scorers this season? Of each, have only got one goal each. Um, I think Palace, they've played seven games. They've got six points. They're only one place above the relegation zone um, from Wolves. But I think you could almost argue that their position's probably not where they deserve to be um, based on the start that the teams have had to play at the beginning. I think they've played Arsenal first game. Um, I think they've played Liverpool as well. Um, so I think it's something that Patrick Vieira will making clear to them that they need to start getting the points on the board. And I would expect them to come out fighting against Wolves and with the Sellers Park crowd behind them, I would expect them to get over the line against them as well at the moment. 
I was looking at the statistics when it comes to Patrick Vieira, and apparently he has a better record of not losing matches, which I think is a good indication of the sort of club Crystal Palace are, <laughs> than uh, any manager Palace have had since the 1980s. I think Terry Venables was the last manager to have a, a better non-losing record if there's a if there's another way, because obviously wins and draws are, are two different things. So um, that's impressive in itself for a Crystal Palace side who certainly uh, have improved under Patrick Vieira. But as for Wolves, we said before, no manager since sacking Bruno Large Marley. How long is it going to be before that becomes a bit of an issue? Because they won at the weekend, that fabled bounce after sacking a manager, getting a result in the next game. I was thinking about this and whether there are any recent examples. And the one that sticks out like a sore thumb to me is Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth. They sacked Scott Parker after a 9-0 loss and hasn't worked out too badly for him, seeing as he's an, an interim manager. But how long do you think it is before having no boss starts to become a bit of a problem for teams? Well, in in general, I think uh, companies and clubs they they do tend to work better with someone managing them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's one of them, isn't it? Like, it's it's Bournemouth is strange because they're just kind of like I think Bournemouth would have ideally wanted to make the the managerial appointment three weeks ago, but Gary O'Neill keeps grinding out these wins where they go behind and then they they come back and and nick a point and he's ended up unbeaten so far. So. They're just like, well, until he loses the game, we won't uh, we won't bother him. We'll just let him let him carry on. We'll keep on picking up points and sit in tenth or eleventh in the table. So that's a real strange one. But you know, with um, with Wolves, it's it's uh, I don't I don't think they wanted to sack Large. Um, sort of like towards at the start of the season, they're probably thinking they're probably not worried about his job. But because the situation was was uh, worse than feared. I think they they had to do it, and you see in that now because they don't have a an instant replacement lined up. You know, there's no obvious candidate. Uh, Nuno Santos been linked with coming back now, and he's he's actually working in Saudi Arabia now. So they're trying to negotiate his exit, um, in from the Middle East, and and he comes back. But is that the most overwhelming appointment? I I don't really think it is because the way it ended they all they all wanted rid of him because he played boring football and didn't score goals and he's going to come into a team which is playing boring football and not scoring goals so it's uh it's a strange one really but they've got to they've got to sort it out because they've, they've spent a fair bit of money this summer and uh like i know they've recouped it thanks to forest playing paying a stupid amount for uh, <laughs> for morgan gibbs white but you know it's uh, it's still they've they've put a lot of effort into that squad and They've been unlucky with injuries as well, to be fair. But I think for Wolves, it's it's uh, just stabilise the club and and uh, try and find some consistency this season. And then, you know, you can look towards the the second half after the World Cup, and then even going into next season already. For me, with Wolves, it's not um, it's not looking great this season. I don't think they're going to be in relegation problems or anything like that. But I think with uh, with the width things have started it's probably just better to sort of speculate before you accumulate type of thing and take a step backwards and, and sort things out before you can sort of put any ambitions on the the second half of the season and then going forward into the next season as well I must admit I've not seen every game of um of Wolves this season but the ones that I have seen I just wonder if they're missing someone like Connor Cody at the back just to sort of show that leadership obviously they moved him on to Everton in the summer um, I think there was a, sort of a mutual agreement there that Connor Cody wanted to go back to uh, Merseyside. But you do just wonder if in the dressing room they're sort of missing that voice, that sort of leader, just to sort of galvanise them a little bit. 
again, I do think they've been unlucky with injuries, like you just said there, Marlin. I think once Costa starts to find his feet, I think that will really um, show. Like I said, it's just going to be quite a hard game, I think, for them to get into a groove against Crystal Palace when they're away. Mm. Yeah, well, Nuno Espirito Santo is looking like the favourite to return to Molyneux and become their new manager for the second time. Uh, So we'll keep an eye on that one here on Football Social Daily. You can also hear what former Wolves winger Matt Jarvis thinks of the situation at Molyneux right now by listening to The Dugout, which is our podcast featuring former top flight professionals. You can find that by scrolling back in the Football Social Daily timeline or just searching for The Dugout wherever you get your podcasts. Right, that's it for tonight's games, of which there are only two, Brighton Forest and Palace Wolves. Aston Villa are in action tomorrow and it is a huge game for Steven Gerrard, who's under some Real pressure as Aston Villa manager. We'll talk about that next after this here on FSD. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Don't forget to check out the website for more great sport podcasts. And hit subscribe here as well if you want to keep up to date with all of the latest in the top flight of English football. New episodes each and every day of the season. And how long left of the season has Steven Gerrard got? Because his job is under serious doubt with the pressure mounting on the former Liverpool midfielder. His side 16th in the Premier League table at the moment and going into a huge match tomorrow night away at Fulham in the Premier League. Villa currently just a point above the relegation zone, nine points from their opening 10 games. I think it's fair to say, Marley, that Steven Gerrard on the whole has been disappointing since taking the job a little under a year ago now. Some in the press are saying that this week is critical for his future. They've got Fulham away on Thursday, I should say, before Brentford at the weekend. So, do you agree? Do you think this is the, the pivotal week in Gerard's career as Aston Villa manager? Yep, definitely. Um, I think he might not even last till Fulham if uh, if certain reports are to be believed. He might be might be packing his bags today, but um, he's he's not done anything, has he, at Villa? I don't think he's 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 had the impact off the field with you know the signing Coutinho, for example. Like obviously. Villa would never have signed Coutinho if Gerard wasn't the manager. However, what's Coutinho done this season? You know, he was great at the start, but that's been Coutinho's problem for for years. Like he's when he's motivated, he's fantastic, but he he goes away too much. He, he's fades off. It's just it's Villa all over. Like they're doing good business off the field. They've signed some good players. Kamara's a good player. Leon Bailey's a good player. Buendia's decent. Martinez, but for me, there's two things for me with Gerard. One is that he doesn't know his best team and that can be um, backed up by the fact that they play you know, a few different formations every every week. They they switch. They It's not tactical versatility if none of them are working because it just it sort of shows you like he still doesn't know what, what his best 11 is. Um, and the second you're making thing... it sound very much like you're saying Steven Gerrard doesn't know what he's doing, which <laughs> would be a very Spartan way to to describe it. But well, it, it feels to me like that's what you're saying, which is fair enough. Well, he, he doesn't know his best team. What's what's he done? If he knew what he was doing, mm. it, it's like you, sometimes you give managers an open checkbook, like oh, you say you know we're going to back him massively, go out and sign who you want, and we'll we'll pull it off. But then they go. It's almost like they turn into FIFA mode and go, well, I have him, 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 him. And then you go, oh, Christ, I didn't sign a 
a defensive midfielder or whatever it is. Or, you know, this idea go Carlos and he gets injured and they're back to square one with Mings and Conser at the back. Like, that was one one area they they wanted to improve last season. And they yeah. ended up back where they were last season. And mm. then, obviously, Mings... You write Mings off at the start of the season, basically um, saying to Tyro Mings, you're not going to play. Diego Carlos does his Achilles and then he's he's going going back to him with his, his backside and his hands going, oh, sorry, um, you're in this weekend, by the way. Like... Kid's gonna have no confidence at all, and mm. then he makes he makes that howler at the weekend, and it's yeah. like, well, that's been coming, that's been coming for weeks. That's something an inexperienced manager does, like little man managing things like that. I think I think managers with more experience don't make those mistakes. Um, but the, I mean, the biggest the biggest thing for me, even bigger than the the team selection and the tactics, is he doesn't seem bothered. Which would really, really anger me if I was a Villa fan. Okay, well, um, just well, just on that, take a listen to this because this was an interview Stephen Gerrard did with Sky Sports before their game against Chelsea at the weekend. Have a listen to this. Um, you know, when you come to places with Brighton, with all due respect, it's different when you come with Chelsea because Chelsea should be competing for the league, they should be competing for the Champions League, and they should be coming to Villa Park and wiping the floor with us. If you talk about outlay and spend and backing and where they're at, so. The pressure is very much just as much on them as it is at us, and um, it's game on. We're looking forward to it. I get the point Stephen Gerrard's trying to make there, Stefan, but when you're an Aston Villa fan and you hear your manager saying Chelsea should be coming and wiping the floor with us, I kind of I'm inclined to agree with Marley. That's something that would irritate me. Yeah, he's basically waving that white flag before they've even arrived, isn't he? And I think it's hard as well to get the fans excited about that when you're hearing your manager doing that sort of interview for the press. Um, I did see most of the Chelsea Villa game at the weekend and you have to say that there's almost like a nervousness in the ground, which I think probably contributed to Tyrone Mings' error, which if he did that header a thousand times, he's probably only ever going to make that mistake once. Um, I do think they came up against a very inspired Kepper in the Chelsea goal at the weekend. I think it's uh, fair to say he's in a very big resurgence Mm. in form um, to see him now get back in front of Mendy. Um, so it's a tricky one with it based on that because if they didn't manage to get a point out of that game which you could argue they were probably fair game to get if that makes sense um, I think the free kick as well I think Martinez could have done better I think he sort of tried to predict what way Mount was going to go and then he sort of left himself planted but those are the sort of things that go against you when you're down and towards the bottom of the table aren't they and again if you're not getting that confidence boost from your manager because he's praising the opposition saying they're going to beat you before they even get here is that really going to help when you get out on the pitch against them? Marley, what do you think would have been the best option for Steven Gerrard a year ago? Do you think he should Stay have stayed at Rangers? At Rangers? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Do yeah. you think he should have stayed at Rangers? Because he'd be playing Champions League football at the moment, albeit things aren't going well with Giovanni van Bronckhorst at Rangers in the Champions League. But who knows how they would have fared under Steven Gerrard. So as I say, Champions League football, more experience as a manager, still managing a huge club. Let's not forget that Ibrox holds more spectators than Villa Park does. That's not to say... Rangers are a bigger club than Aston Villa I'm not saying that but in terms of managing in the big atmospheres certainly that would have been a factor so do you think he would have been better off staying at Rangers with the the benefit of beautiful 2020 hindsight then then yeah um but he was always going to take the chance wasn't he because I think I don't I don't mean to sort of go on about it but I do think Gerard's managerial career is is sort of pinned around him one day managing Liverpool. And if he'd have been still at Rangers now, 
um, and won like I don't know. Let's say let's say won a game in the Champions League. I think Rangers have lost all the games so far. But if they'd have won the game in the Champions League, um, and he'd still been there, I think he would be with the start Liverpool have made. People would be talking about him like, why don't we go for Gerrard now? Like he's doing he's done really well at Rangers, and Klopp's you know coming to the end of his his time maybe if if Liverpool are sitting tenth. You know, it, I, I I think that job was was closer than people think. I, I don't think Liverpool need much temptation to give him that job, but since he's come to Villa and totally flopped, I don't think he's he's near it anymore. I think he's damaged his chances, but that is the the risk you've got to take in in management. I think is you've got to prove yourself somewhere. It doesn't matter where, as long as it wasn't Everton. I think he was all right. <laughs> so, but it's it's ended up uh, backfiring. But you know, he's um I think he's. Uh, He's, he's he's probably regretting it if if he's honest with himself. I think he's probably thinking, "Christ, I should have just stayed at Rangers. Uh, I could have had a, a different job in in the near future, um, and been one step closer to that big gig, which is his his dream job." I think there's an argument, isn't there, that perhaps he found it a bit easier being a bigger fish in a smaller pond up in Scotland because. Let's face it; it's going to be Rangers or Celtic who win that league every year, and now he's had to come down to uh, the Premier League and where Villa find themselves at the moment. They'd probably be a mid-table team at best. They've probably got lofty ambitions to try and get into European places, but at the moment, that's not really looking like that's going to happen anytime soon. I just wonder if, like you say, the realizations just sort of hit home a little bit. But at the same time, I do wonder what are Villa's ambitions like. How how far up in the league do they expect to be? Um, I think I don't know if it will be Gerard that turns it around, but I don't see Villa as one of the worst, as one of the three worst teams in the league this season. And I do think they will have enough to stay up in that sense. So I think it's just trying to work out whereabouts they sort of see their season progressing. And I'd, you do wonder. There's been a lot of um, there's been a lot leveled at Gerard, but you just have to wonder what the tactics sort of are. There's been a lot of talks from other press as well about the football's not great to watch. I mean, I said the Villa-Chelsea game was the first match I've seen for Villa in a while and they were peppering the goal, but whether that just comes more out of desperation because they're behind instead of sort of trying to lead on the front foot in the first place. There's a lot of problems at Villa at the moment and it'll be interesting to see if he's given the time to turn it around. Yeah, there's a lot of mistakes like the... You know, Tyra Mings header you spoke about a minute ago, there's a lack of intensity and that's not really something you associate with Steven Gerrard as a player, particularly a lack of intensity. He was one of the most intense players of a generation, charging around the pitch, really dictating the tempo of matches and his side doesn't seem to do that at the moment. So you do wonder what the future is for Steven Gerrard. I don't think he's doing himself any favours in the Gerrard against Lampard debate as well. You know, if the debate was close as a player, I think Lampard might just be edging ahead in the managerial stakes, even though it's probably that's quite the, close as well. The, the lowest um, quality contest for two of the best players this, these shores have ever produced, <laughs> isn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, the answer's Lampard. I'm sorry, any Liverpool fan listening, Lampard for me is, is, is the winner of that debate. Um, what, the managerial no, one? No, just any. I oh, think he's. Right. I think he's a better player than Stephen Gerrard, personally. My There's opinion. A podcast for, for an international break. <laughs> well, we'll leave that. We'll leave that. If you are an Aston Villa supporter and you want to hear more on your club in podcast form, then you can check out a couple of great podcasts, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, Total Villains, and For the Love of Paul McGrath, both available wherever you get your podcasts. But before we, but before we move on. Some newspapers are reporting that if Stephen Gerrard is sacked, and as Marley alluded to, that could be. 
pretty soon, if, if reports are to be believed, then Villa will be eyeing up a move to bring Maurizio Pochettino, the former PSG and Tottenham manager, to Villa Park. Now, we know Aston Villa are a big club, Stefan, but that would be a massive coup even for Villa to bring in Pochettino. Yeah, I have to agree. Again, I do wonder, is Pochettino's stock a little bit lower at the minute after his... Uh, it was with PSG was with most recently, wasn't it? Um, so I do wonder where he sees his stock at the moment. If I was Pochettino, I'd probably be waiting out. Again, no offence to Villa fans, I'd probably be waiting out for one of the big European teams to sort of shuffle the deck when something isn't going right. Um, I think... Would it be a step back towards maybe his Southampton days if um, he was to come back and manage again in the Premier League at that sort of level? Because I think it's clear to see, obviously, that Spurs are a better team at this time right now than Villa are. So is he sort of trying to do a different job at a different point in the league? Does he still have that sort of skill set? It would be definitely a, a statement of intent from Villa. Um, I personally would be surprised if Pochettino saw that as the challenge that he wanted to do next. Well, Pochettino is certainly the name that seems to be in the papers, Marley, as a potential replacement for Gerard. Should they stick with Gerard or just twist and go for Pochettino anyway? Because I think it's going to be a hard thing to pull off. I think Stefan's right. I think Poch is going to be biding his time here. I was going to say before with um, with what Villa have done sort of off the field is um, I was going to say something along the lines of Villa sort of... <laughs> It's just going to wind any Villa fans up that are listening, but I think they, they punch above their weight. I think they, they act as if they're way bigger than they are. Um, the sum of their parts is not as high as, as they tend to be. They go out and they, they chuck money on Coutinho and things like that. And they, they you know, that, I'm saying like they, they break the sort of wage budget and it's like, yeah, we can sign Coutinho. Yeah, of course we can. But. If you get a not bothered Brazilian up front just wasting money, like he's, he he didn't grow up wanting to play for Aston Villa, you're mm. better off getting. And there's probably a reason why they got him for what was it? I can't remember what they paid from twenty something million, yeah, bail, which is a hundred million anything, pound yeah. less less than what they than what was went what he went for yeah. five years previously. Yeah, was he hundred and forty million to uh, to Barcelona or something like that from Liverpool? And you know, five years later, he's playing for for Aston Villa in front of the whole end. who were all baying for another manager's manager's spell you know they only just came up to the Premier League a few years ago I don't understand where this whole yeah we can go and get Pochettino give me give me anyone give me one good reason why Pochettino will go to Aston Villa other than the fact that he's a bit bored at home (laughs) it's it's just not a thing it is not it it, he's way above their station he's not going to want to come from PSG where he was he was successful but not as successful as they want but not who is um He's not going to want to come and scrap for 15th place in the Premier League and oh, hopefully we can finish above Wolves this season. Hopefully we can get into 10th. It's not an ambitious club anymore. Like It's not a club which can push to the top eight. Like They, they think they can, but they can't. It's, they're nowhere near it. Every year they spend big money. They they you know go out and the, the hype around them at the start of the season is huge and it never works. And... Bringing in Pochettino would, I mean, it just won't happen. I just don't think it'll happen. 
Maybe a reality check needed for Aston Villa fans. Those are thoughts of Marley Anderson. Well, what are your opinions? You can let us know on our Telegram chat. Just go to our Twitter page, at FSDpod. That's where you can find us on Twitter. And the pinned tweet at the top of the page is a link to our Telegram group where the discussion continues beyond the podcast. If you hit that link, then you'll be able to download the app from the iOS or the Google Play Store. Download Telegram, jump into the group chat and uh, tee off on Marley about his Aston Villa opinions. <laughs> you can let him know what you truly think. So make sure you go and do that to keep up to date with all of the discussion around Football Social Daily. Right, that's it for Aston Villa. They're in action later on this week. But last night, it was the Ballon d'Or. Karim Benzema won the men's prize. How did the Premier League players fare? We'll talk about it after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Final part of today's episode of Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. I've got Stefan and Marley alongside me and it was the Ballon d'Or last night and we spoke on Monday's podcast about how it doesn't really have the same feel about it. I'm not really too bothered these days about who wins the golden ball but it was Karim Benzema who picked up the men's prize and we felt that he deserved to win as we mentioned on yesterday's show. Can't really argue with him picking up the prize. Sadio Mane, the former Liverpool player, picking up that that second place. We said De Bruyne was made be the best Premier League challenger to Benzema. He placed third in the end, but I personally forgot about Sadio Mane, Stefan. I know he is in Germany now, but does that almost sum up his contributions at times? We forget about him and how good he is, when maybe sometimes we shouldn't. Yeah, definitely. I think if you ask any Liverpool fan right now, would they take Mane back? They'd probably do it in a heartbeat. Um, I think it's easy to forget, particularly with the form that Liverpool have been in in the last couple of months, that Liverpool were fighting on four fronts until the very late stages of the season um Mane had an incredible 2022 when you think that he won the African Cup of Nations with Senegal and like I said he nearly got them over the line in the Premier League and the Champions League obviously won the two domestic cup competitions so I think second place was very merited in that sense um obviously I wasn't with you guys on Monday's pod but I think it's hard to look past Benzema as the best player in the world for the last year yeah I totally agree I just think that you know Sadio Mane is someone I totally didn't even think of when we were talking about oh who in the Premier League could be the closest challenger to Benzema and I think we all unanimously agreed Marley didn't we that it would be Kevin De Bruyne over the last 12 months but with Mane having moved in the summer to Bayern Munich I totally forgot about him um, so he finished second and I think that the fact that he's the second best player in the world behind someone who's um, won a Champions League and, and really stepped up to the front in the last year for his club, Real Madrid. I think that shows maybe just how undervalued Sadio Mane has been at times. Yeah, I think um, I think he's he is one of those slightly under the radar players. And I, to be fair, I think that's why he left Liverpool. I think he, I think he's always believed and known how good he is and how he, he knew how important he was to Liverpool. But when Salah's getting the plaudits every every week because he's scoring slightly more goals and he's he's sort of the the headline grabbing sort of player that he is you know he tends to to get slightly more from from the uh, the sort of general footballing um sort of public if if you if you like but i think if you if you properly look into liverpool and they're sort of all conquering you know champions league team and and premier league winning team it's Mane was a huge part of it, like huge, huge part of it, because 
his his um well it's 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 his all round game you know his um his way he approaches the the game without the ball you know his pressing's fantastic his quality with the balls immense his goal scoring's fantastic um and then i think he, in the end he thought you know what i'm not getting the plaudits i deserve here at liverpool i'm going to go to somewhere that that loves me and he's he's kicked on at bayern and you know he's he's doing well again there so um yeah it's he's one of them where i think it did get to him a bit and to get like second place in the ballon d'or i mean you know second place it's not you know it's not it's not winning it but it's pretty bloody close and to be, to be the second best player in the world coming off a season where you've won the African Nations with with Senegal which is huge in Africa it's absolutely massive um then it's sort of um it's something to to put next to Sadio Mane's name as uh, as an all-time legend I think okay well Benzema won the men's prize Mane second Kevin De Bruyne was third when do you think we'll see a Premier League player next to win it, Stefan? Surely it's got to be Erling Haaland if he carries on his current trajectory. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, I think the trajectory's gone down ever so slightly after blanket against Liverpool, but it's still something like 70 goals predicted <laughs> for the season, isn't it? I think um, I think the Ballon d'Or, although it still carries quite, quite a lot of weight in the world of football, I think Messi and Ronaldo sort of watered it down a little bit over their domination over the last 10 years. And I think the Ballon d'Or sort of goes to... The, not just the footballer who tends to score the most goals, but also the team that ends up winning the most trophies. I think there's a good example there of Mane being pipped to the post by Benzema purely based on the amazing Champions League run that Real Madrid had after everyone was writing them off. I think if Haaland could get City that Champions League title that they so desperately crave, because um, he will be an integral part of that run if they are going to do it, then I think he has to be definitely within a shout next year because... We are starting to see that the old guard sort of pass the baton over to the new as well. I mean, the Copper Trophy was really, really interesting yesterday as well. You see all uh, Gavi and uh, Pedri from Barcelona and Jude Bellingham in there as well. So the it does feel like now is the time for the younger generation to sort of step up and almost be counted. Um, I'm not too familiar at the minute with Mbappe's numbers and what he's doing in League One at the moment. But um, yeah, I think just to answer your question, I think Haaland's definitely been a shout because... He's, I think he's got the most goals so far in, in the top five leagues as well, isn't he? I think Lewandowski's on his heels. But yeah, for me, I think Haaland's definitely been with a shout. OK, Erling Haaland next to win the Ballon d'Or as a Premier League player. You heard it here first. It's not exactly the most outrageous shout, is it? Before we round off today's podcast, we're going to carry on something we did last Tuesday. We had a bit of fun talking about our top threes. We spoke about our top three movies, our top three holiday destinations. And we're going to continue that trend into today's show and we're going to keep it themed. So I want to find out from each of you your top three Ballon d'Or winners ever. But there's a caveat here excluding Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. So, Marley, you can go first on this one. There's a lot of players to pick from. Some have only won it once. Some have won it multiple times. Excluding Messi and Ronaldo, who would be your top three Ballon d'Or winners ever? That is such a, such a like wide-ranging uh, question <laughs> here, but... Well, so's what's your favourite movie? <laughs> I wasn't on that podcast, and I was like, "Why are we a football podcast talking about movies?" <laughs> um, I would maybe go back. Obviously, you got to go back before the Ronaldo and, and Messi days. Um, I'd say maybe one of my favourite players to ever win it was Pavel Nedved. Um, I remember seeing him as a kid, 
Um, when I well, when I was a kid, not when he was a kid, that would have been I'd have been about one when he was a kid. But um, I seen him play against Newcastle in a pre-season friendly. We, we played Juventus uh, at St James's Park, and it was weird. He, he just ran. I've never been so aware of a player running the game so effortlessly. Like he was just everywhere, right foot, left foot, one touch passing, just controlled the tempo of everything. And I remember thinking that that guy's a serious player, um, ridiculously good player. Um, so I probably put Pavel Nedved in there as a bit of a bit of a slight hipster choice. Um, Me too. He's. I mean, I know we mentioned it briefly on yesterday's podcast, but and I'm I'm asking now a petition to get a Pavel Nedved compilation put on our social media channels yeah. because <laughs> some of the goals he scored, left foot, right foot, dribbling, taking players on, free kicks, the lot. He could do it all. Yeah, top I'll, player. So I'll he's, he's in mine as well. You. I'll put the uh, the video of him partying that went uh, went out a couple of months ago <laughs> on uh, on Instagram. I, I, I don't know whether this is true, but I saw a a photo of him with a guitar, like almost like a, as part of a Nirvana tribute band because he looks a little bit like Kurt Cobain with the hair. I don't know whether that's true or that's been doctored, but I always thought that was quite funny. But he's in mine as well. So that's, who are your other two? That sounds doctored to me, mate. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I'd go for it as well, the uh, the 2005 winner, uh, Ronaldinho. Mm. Um, yeah, he's in just mine as well. Yeah, because in, in, that, in that little period, he was just ridiculous. I mean, one of my favourite things to do is uh, just... When you're scrolling through Twitter and you'll see like a compilation of, of Ronaldinho and it's like six minutes long, it's just like yeah, settle in, hit full screen and just watch it, because the 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 things he did was just unbelievable for that for that Barcelona team. And even when he uh, he started taking it a bit less seriously and he he sort of let his fitness go a little bit, he was still quality on the ball. He still could knock at the ball off him. Um, so he was one for me. Um, and then sticking on the Brazilian theme, the 2002 winner Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, R9. One of my favourite ever players. Yeah. He yeah. won in 1997 as well. 